In Philippians 2, it says God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. God the Father exalted him. But did it ever occur to you that you have a role in the exaltation of Christ? Welcome to the Food for Your Soul podcast, where we apply the Word of God to the hearts of men and women to stoke the fires of your delight in Christ. Here's your host, Dr. D. Richard Ferguson. In verse 9, he says, he lifts him up by giving him the name. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Now, let's talk for a minute about this name, because commentators argue, what's the name? Is this the name Jesus? Because it says the name of Jesus. Or is it the name Lord? And they go back and forth, and there's, there's, there's arguments on both sides. Honestly, I think the arguments miss the point. I don't think the focus here is simply on a title. Jesus had the name Jesus and the title Lord during his humiliation. This isn't talking about that. This is talking about something after his humiliation where God is exalting him. See, your name is not just um, an arrangement of sounds. Your name is, is the revelation to others of who you are. That's what your name, that's what name means. It's the revelation of who you are. When we read over 60 times in the Bible, praise his name, it doesn't mean praise the syllables, right? It's, it, it means praise him in a way that recognizes the truth about who he really is. So, so the idea here isn't just that Jesus was um, referred to by certain labels, but rather that what God did, what God the Father did to exalt His Son was to reveal, to unveil who Jesus really was. Because in His humiliation, His real identity was obscured. It was hidden. But God the Father, He's going to unveil that and show the Son's glory. When Jesus came to earth, basically He, 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 he gave up His name. His reputation, knowing, being obvious who he is, what he is. He was content to come to earth in such a humble form that when men looked at him, they thought his true identity was nothing more than just a regular man, in fact, an especially lowly man. He was like that general in the new recruit's uniform. But then here's what happened. After they, they strip the general of every dignity and they, they hate him because of his lowliness and they rip away from him every last remnant of honor, another five-star general walks in. And this one's actually dressed like a five-star general. Instantly, everybody snaps to attention. And this general goes over to his disguised colleague and lifts him up off the floor and drapes over his shoulders his normal general's uniform loaded down with every possible medal of honor. And now everybody is standing at attention and they are saluting this man that they were just kicking around. See, the second general came in and exalted the first one just simply by revealing to everyone who he actually was. That's what God the Father has done with Jesus Christ. He has refitted him with his original glory. Now anyone who sees him 
it's instantly obvious this is Almighty God, right? There's no argument in heaven. Nobody will ever be in heaven and look at the Son and the Father and wonder if maybe God the Son is a little bit lower than God the Father in glory. Will not happen. They won't think that because God the Father has made Jesus' identity, his name, crystal clear. God has lifted his bruised, beaten body right up out of the grave and dressed him in his rightful uniform. And the way that God the Father did that was by turning over to Jesus all the things associated with greatness and deity. The things that only God can do, he gave that to Jesus. So, so, uh, and part of that does involve titles. So the titles are important. Jesus is always referred to with lofty titles, divine titles. Um, typically, you don't read very often in the Bible where Jesus is referred to, especially in the epistles, you don't read very often where he's just called Jesus, just Jesus. Sometimes, but not very often. Usually, it's some expanded, exalted title. The Lord Jesus Christ, or our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, or uh, uh, the, you know, Lord, Master, Christ Jesus, whatever. The, the, the most exalted titles for God are all applied to Jesus because he is, he is King of kings. He's not like vice king. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. And he is Savior, and he's God, and he's creator, all these terms. And some of these titles, uh, God actually explicitly said in the Old Testament, I will never give this title to anybody but me, like Savior. And yet it's given to Jesus. All authority has been given to him. Um, God the Father made Jesus the only path to salvation, the only way to the Father, the only way to heaven is through Jesus. And why did God do that? He did that to exalt his son, to glorify him. The description of Jesus in Revelation 1 is identical to the description of the Ancient of Days in Daniel 7. God has decked Jesus out with his, all of his own glory, his actual glory. In fact, that's what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 27. The Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. So all the various roles associated with just God alone are given to Jesus. And the one that especially stands out in this passage, I think, is the role of judge. Um, in Revelation 20, the one seated on the great white throne, this massive throne that, that the one seated there is so glorious and so awesome that earth and sky try to run away and hide and they, there's no place for him. I mean, this awesome being on this throne. Who is that being? You, you think, oh, that's got to be God the Father. No, no, it's not the Father. John 5.22, Jesus said the Father judges no one. No one. Do you know the Father judges no one? He, he judges no one, but he has entrusted all judgment to the Son. Why? Why did God the Father do that? Verse 23, that all, that all may honor the Son as much as they honor the Father. That's why God is doing this. Jesus is the judge. And the reason I, I think that is the thing that's emphasized in Philippians 2 the most is because of the quotation from the Old Testament. So look back to Philippians 2. He says, uh, every knee will bow and every tongue confess, there in verse 11. Um, Every knee will bow, every tongue confess. That is a quotation from Isaiah 45. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to Isaiah 45 uh, because I'd I'd like you to see this with your own eyes here. Um, the, The chapter, I wish we had time to just read this whole chapter. It's kind of a fun chapter to read. Basically what's happening in this chapter is God is picking a fight with the false gods with the idols. 
And he's making fun of them. You know, he's saying, all right, all you false gods, uh, which one of you can prophesy? And he's like, here, I'll give you the mic. Just tell me, how many of you know the future? You know, and, 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 and then he talks about his own, how he announces the future. And he just keeps saying over and over, I am Yahweh and there is no other. I'm the true God and there is no other God. And then he goes on to start mocking the, the idols. Uh, we'll take a look. You can pick it up at like verse 20. Gather together and come, assemble you fugitives from the nations. Ignorant are those who carry about idols of wood, who pray to gods that cannot save. In verse 22, look at that. Uh, Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn. My mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me... Every knee will bow, and by me every tongue will swear. And they will say of me, In Yahweh alone are righteousness and strength. All who have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. All his enemies will be subdued. All the false gods of the nations, all the demons, all the people who worship them, all atheists, all unbelievers, all who mock God, all who ignore God, all demons, all evil spirits, the devil himself, every knee will bow before Yahweh God. And when they do so, they will look up and see that the one before whom they are bowing is actually none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. He's applying that to Jesus. You know, if you ever find yourself fumbling for an answer for the Jehovah's Witnesses that come to your door or whatever and you want to prove, I don't know of any passage in the whole Bible that's more explicit about that Jesus is Yahweh God than this one. It's, it's taking the quotation right out of Isaiah forty-five twenty-four and applying it to Jesus. At the name of Jesus, verse 10, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That's in heaven, that's all the spiritual beings in the heavenly realms, you know, the angels and demons, spiritual beings. On earth, that's the people who are alive. Under the earth, that's people like six feet under, that's dead people. Everybody. And verse 11, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The way God the Father exalted Jesus above all was simply by revealing the truth about Jesus, unveiling his glory. And that's the same way we glorify him. That's our task, to unveil Christ's glory. Aren't you glad our job is to unveil his glory to people rather than to persuade people to recognize his glory? Of course, we do try to convince people, 2 Corinthians 5.11, since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. So, That is our role. We try to persuade. It's good. Go ahead and marshal evidences and make strong arguments to help people believe. But no matter how good you are at that, most people still won't believe. Most people Paul preached to weren't persuaded. And most people who heard Jesus preach and saw his miracles with their own eyes weren't persuaded. So we don't have to feel like we failed at our task if people reject our message about Jesus. The thing that determines if you failed or succeeded is simply this. Did you reveal Christ's glory? If you tell people that Jesus is the King of Kings and that he's the judge of all mankind, 
that everyone will someday stand before him, and Jesus will determine every person's eternal destiny. doesn't matter how many people believe what you're saying. Glorifying Jesus is simply a matter of making it known. But how often do we even talk about Jesus' glory? We might make an argument that the Bible is true or make some vague comment about God, but do we ever really say much about what it is that's so marvelous about Jesus Christ? Why not think of a few simple lines that you could have at the ready to say about the Lord Jesus Christ? If you're afraid someone might want to debate you and you won't be able to answer all their arguments and all that, just make it a testimony. Then no one can argue. Just say something like, well, I can say for myself, interacting with Jesus Christ has given my life meaning and has satisfied my soul more than all the most delightful things in the world I've ever experienced. He has brought me happiness and hope even in the darkest moments of my life. That's it. You just say that. How can anybody argue with that? They might have theories on how to explain all that, but they can't argue with your experience. Father, I want to always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks me to give a reason for the hope I have. To begin with, that means I would have to live with an eye-catching hope that's so unusual and attractive to people that they would actually ask me for an explanation. Teach me how to live that way. And I know it's more than just the way I act. It has a whole lot to do with the way I speak. I don't know how anyone is going to know how much hope I have and you unless I say something about it frequently. Pry my lips open, Father, to speak freely and regularly about the hope that I have in you because of your great and precious promises. And when it does happen that I have a chance to give a reason, help me be prepared. Give me the words, Father, so that I might draw people's hearts to want to have the same access to hope in you that I have. Let my life be a walking billboard for the fact that no one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame, because your eyes are on those who fear you, on those whose hope is in your unfailing love. I know that every knee will bow to your Son, Father, whether it be willingly and eagerly now or on the day that they're being condemned by him on Judgment Day. Thank you, Lord, for bringing me into submission now, before that dreadful day, so that I can have joy and a life submitted to him now and the eternal joy of being his subject in his kingdom forever. I long for that day when there will be no more rebellion in the world, in the universe. On that day when thrones will be set in place and you, the ancient of days, will take your seat, your clothing as white as snow, the hair of your head white like wool. Your throne will be flaming with fire and its wheels all ablaze. A river of fire will flow coming out from before you. Thousands upon thousands will attend you. Ten thousand times ten thousand will stand before you. 
the court will be seated, and the books will be opened. Then the beast will be slain, and his body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. Then the Son of Man will come with the clouds of heaven. He will approach you and be led into your presence. Then you will give him authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language, including me, will worship him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode edifying, why not share it with a friend? This season of the Food for Your Soul podcast features excerpts from our sermon series on the book of Philippians, 50 expository sermons covering every verse. You can find those and hundreds of other sermons for free download on drichardferguson.com. Until next time, rejoice in the Lord always and set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God.